Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Clint Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Hello! I tried to do a Matt-style hello. It just <laughs> I liked it. Didn't quite. Yeah, it just didn't have the same. Didn't bring the, the warmth to it. Yeah. Well, keep trying. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I like the Matt hello of, you know, a few years back before it got all commercial and corporate. Yeah. <laughs> he was so young and full of life then. <laughs> Also, when he was all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. You could almost hear the beard in that old hello of Matt's. Sure, <laughs> sure. We, we are here. We're recording for the first time in 2019. You're not. Obviously, we had an episode come out that we recorded in 2018. Right. Bridge the divide there. And, uh, you know, on one of the, those last episodes, we talked about some New Year's resolutions, some things we wanted to do going forward. Uh, right. One of them was have cool guests on the show, which we have already accomplished. We're going to talk later to... Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, a guy out of Nashville who makes a lot of excellent music. Lee and I have been following for a long time, named Andy Gellhorn. Yeah. Super thrilled to have him talk about his new record. And we had other resolutions that already have not gone well. Mm. Okay. So we didn't talk about this on the show, but personally, one of the things I was going to do was this year of 2019 was be less annoyed by Christian nonsense. Oh, oh how's wow. that going? I must declare an emergency. Oh. What? What? <laughs> Prominent Christian blog that shall... Go nameless, but you're probably gonna guess it. Um, <laughs> tweeted this out very early. So this is a well-known Christian. Yes, this uh, is the one like this. this is one of the two or three big ones. Okay. Um, you know, so they tweeted this out on either New Year's Day or the second, and um, a, a resolution did not last long. Let's put it that okay. way. I read verbatim from the Twitter slug promoting this article. Mm. Read the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Speak the Bible. So we're halfway through. Okay. I'll speak the Bible is a little kind of a weird way to put that, but you know. Sure, whatever you're into. You know what that means. We're fine. Submit to the Bible. Love the Bible. Okay. And now we get to the slug of this and the title of the article, Marry the Bible this year. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, okay. okay. Can you pat, can you bring that back up there yep. on your phone? Pass that to Jed. Yeah. I would like for Jed to please read that in an accent of his choosing. Read the Bible. Mm. You need to memorize the Bible. Wow. He's earnest. Mm. You need to speak the Bible. <laughs> oh, the mouthfeel. Submit to the Bible. <laughs> oh. Love the Bible. Okay. Here's what I'm saying. Marry the Bible. <laughs> well, if you're a fan of Andy Gullhorn's music and tuned into this because you saw him tagged in something and thought, I want to hear that, um, you should have skipped ahead, and that's your mistake, not ours. Welcome. I, We're I, glad you're here. I made There's a, a time code for the part you want to hear in the episode description. Don't feel bad about scrubbing ahead. I am already disappointed. I was hoping for Palpatine Jet. That would have been... Dude, really that's what it should have landed yeah, on. Yeah, I can't that's... believe that didn't occur to me. Take yeah. two. Submit to the Bible. <laughs> Love <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> Marry the Bible this year! <laughs> yeah. You know, folks... Never does not pay off. Sometimes when we go all the way back around for a joke, it's not worth it. That was not one of those times. <laughs> that, that yeah, was... that's always worth it. 
It was exceptional. And we landed the crux of this issue because I almost issued, but issue. <laughs> um, Jed saying it that way was made it no more creepy. Yeah. Than the actual <laughs> yeah, plain that's... text. Because it was already pegged to the map. Well, here's my yeah. thing on this is, Please. And, and I need to say this because my wife listens to this podcast. I'm already Hi, married, blog. Um, yeah. I, I do not mm. want to marry. I can't. No, that's not That's not what we're doing. I'm against that. Yeah. It's like John Pye. I mean, megachurch pastor will go ma- unnamed is promoting bigamy. What? You heard it here. Here's Tell what, married people to get married again. Here, here's what I'm saying. You know, I like the Bible. Sure. You know, I... I, I as a friend, though, but yeah, I just want to be friends. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, I love the Bible as a friend, right? But I, I, I don't love the Bible like that. Sure, you love the Bible, but you're not in love with the Bible. Yeah, because uh, it sounds like you have Bible commitment issues, Glenn. It, well, it's an inanimate object. <laughs> yeah, it turns and out it's just a book. It's a book. It contains the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying? But so that's weird. What would this ceremony be like? <laughs> do, do you, Bible, take this man? I mean, we'll wait. There's sure, absolutely. We're, we're waiting for a response, Bible. But even in like the weirdest, like I mean, even in like the you know, like the spiritual sense of the believers in Jesus are the bride of Christ. Yeah, it's yes, not the bride not of the, the Bible. Bible. Yeah, right. that's right. That's You've right. literally taken Jesus out of Christianity, right? But uh, here, there, there's also the line "Obey the Bible" in there. That you know, that's uh, like not a. You, it's not a thing you just tell other people to do. Well, right? it is if you're a certain Christian blogs. I mean, I do it better. I mean, I've been apparently wasting a lot of time in ministry, uh, doing you know, as 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 uh, as God says to His people in the Bible, "Come, let us reason together." Right, right. I think I, I've read that. Yeah, no, that's, that's you should have been passing out Bibles. I've been reasoning with people all this time. I didn't realize I could just say, "Obey the Bible, yep. <laughs> marry it." <laughs> you know. Yeah, marry. Do, do you want to like date first or anything? I mean, like, what what are the stages? Here's the here's the the dark dark reality that we stumbled across and i'm jed informed me that this was happening already in the comments of this article so i i feel better about not speaking it into being yeah okay and uh somewhere in the world the actual world yeah which we live in mm-hmm. someone has said to and the, this is absolutely the way it's happened and we know a male type person has said to a, a lady person I we, I would love to get coffee, but I'm just gonna date my Bible this year. Yeah, yeah. You that, know, on a Christian college campus, that has happened. Yeah. yeah, don't say that. Yeah, because that's not anything. An old rich dude whom I've never met uh-huh. and doesn't care about me at all uh-huh. had one of his freelance interns. Who's just trying to, for the love of God, eat into this seminary debt somehow? Yeah. Wrote an article about marrying the Bible, so now I guess I have to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that isn't anything, right? You can't marry your Bible. No, and you shouldn't. But you know, he's saying it's not like you literally marry your Bible. It's you figuratively marry your Bible. That's not any better. That's the same thing, dude. Right. There's no such thing as figurative marriage. You cannot fill out that license. That's right. 
Yeah. Question. So please, if you're if you're not married to your Bible, but mm. you're moving towards it, yeah, <laughs> would that be dating or would it be courtship? Oh, well, you are your court- Bible's parents coming? This is what I'm saying, which it- I assume would be older versions of that same translation. <laughs> if you're courting the NKJV, yep. is right. the KJV there yep. as a chaperone? Kind of overseeing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Showing you the pictures from their Bible purity ball. Yes. Yes. It, here, here's, here's the thing. You, you're trying to say something. Right. I get that part. Right. You, you sort of didn't. I mean, it, went, it started bad and then went off the rails. Right. We've all been there. Nobody right. on this podcast can judge you based on that. We, we've sure. all said, I've got a really clever thing. And then you hear it coming out of your face. And it's like, oh, hey, that's not. <laughs> Never know. mind. You know, that now, what, one thing that this is just a helpful hint. Oh. People can try this out there for themselves. If you're typing it into your computer, yeah. maybe give that a little reread. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have many times on this podcast talked about the Trevor test. Yes. Yep, you got right yep, by Trevor. Yeah, now, if you guys aren't familiar, if, if you have in your church or in your family or in your circle of friends a 12, 13, 14-year-old boy. Probably named Trevor. Probably named Trevor, you know, something sure. along those lines. We speak of the Ur Trevor. Yes. Yeah. Sort of sort of the uh, Beavis and Butthead type, oh, you know. Yeah. That. <laughs> if you say yeah. your thing and Trevor makes this noise, <laughs> yeah. you gotta go back to the drawing board. Yeah, they, then it's, you know. You know People who make the church signs. Yeah. 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 Trevor yeah. test, very important. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to give an example, and I'm, Please don't. And I'm not. Please you don't. Know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the one you're thinking of, and it'd be best <laughs> if we didn't. I this, you know, the last podcast we were talking, uh, my wife uh, and I had a meeting. Mm. Yeah, because she she wanted to know, did I really say something on the podcast about a sexy brain? I said <laughs> I don't have any memory of that, but uh, okay. So I'm trying to behave. Sure, sure the podcast one. amendment. Yeah, because you know. You run it by Trevor to see what's yep. going on. You yeah. you reread it. You run it by Trevor. Then you're ready to publish it. You say marry right. the Bible. Trevor's gonna. You're not gonna hear <laughs> paper cuts. <laughs> and right. then you didn't know. We can't right. do that. This this is actually so gone so horribly wrong. It sounds like the reverse of the Trevor test, where you told Trevor how much the Bible meant to you, and Trevor told you, "Why don't you just yeah. marry it if you like it so much?" <laughs> yeah. And then you wrote that down and put it yeah. on the internet. What if I did? <laughs> what if I did? As an actual semi-serious thought for a moment, but I, well, I think doesn't it, really fit. But go ahead. Well, go with it's going to get back to insanity really oh, quickly. Good. Here's the, the reality of like actually two people being married. Um, is you realize, oh, holy crap, this is a super imperfect person. Right. And I have to figure out how to be cool about that and love them anyway. That doesn't apply to the Bible because it's inerrant. Right. This whole thing breaks down immediately. Right. From a website of a man who's hailed as a Christian intellectual. Yes. Well, a real thought leader. And one yeah. more bonus point. Please. Here's a pro tip about actual marriage to another human being. The following phrase will get you out of so much trouble, and you should learn to use it early and often. I did not think that through. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's a good phrase to have in your back pocket yeah. and use liberally, because it's going to be true a lot. So yeah. you 
didn't take the trash out when you said you would. I did not think that through. You made an unwise joke about someone's mother-in-law. I did not think that through. <laughs> you wrote an article instructing people to marry their Bible. I did not think that through. Yeah, There's freedom there. Yeah. Well, and this is the other thing is we hear a lot of bad sermon stuff that's similar to this. But we know where they're going. With sure, it. sure. And that's what's that's the agony is just just say the thing. Yeah, you know, your life would be better if you were more committed to scripture. Yeah, if the more you learn, the more you huh. read, the more you'll be set free, the more you choose to live into that, the better your life is going to be. And that's what I want for you in the new year. That's a cool thing to say. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to be clever or like. Marry it. That was super interesting because when you said those sentences, I understood exactly what you were talking about, and I was edified <laughs> yeah. by that. Right. But whoa, 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 whoa! How's anybody going to know how clever I am if we do it that way? <laughs> well, that's the thing is that's not important. But I'm, no, I'm, I'm the most clever, important though. thing is that I say something no one's ever said before, <laughs> right? Well, While talking about <laughs> believing what's in the Bible, right? Yeah. No, a that's... book that contains no statements contrary to that goal. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was a nice. Four days we made before weird Christian crap melted our brains again. Yeah. But uh, with that return to the status quo, I declare emergency off. Wow. Now, we uh, we we take questions here on this show. We also take questions for our bridge box. Oh, uh, yeah. A monthly thing that comes out. Uh, should I marry my Bible? It's not a question we've had to deal with. There's not really enough meat on that bone yeah. for two sermons and a Bible study and songs. It's pretty also, much just a no. Also, no one thinks you should do that. Nope, yeah. no one's ever actually, no normal human beings ever actually had that thought. A normal th- uh, thought that a lot of people have had is certainly, uh, how do I deal with boredom without getting myself in trouble? How do I deal with that in a constructive way? Maybe or some restlessness where my life is right now. That's what we're looking at in Bridgebox this month. You get sermons from Glenn and myself, Bible studies, songs from Glenn, from Lee, Jed, Pete, some of our other very talented friends. If you want to check that out and support what we do up here in Chicago and down there in Tennessee, missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're jump to our first question here. Now it's all the way to the end or scroll down to the episode description. I'll show you some ways to get in touch with us. First question comes in anonymously and it says, in a recent Bridge Podcast episode, Bridge Podcast, available every Monday. It's probably in your others also subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. You can just scroll on down. Glenn said that we've got to be able to answer the question, quote, why does God love us and not to BS it? I am empty on that. Why? And does God delight in us? And what does that mean? So Glenn, as the author of this sermon, what does that mean? Well, I would like to state for the record, I did not use the term BS in my sermon. I don't think. Maybe well, are you confident? No, in that? I'm, I'm definitely not. Now that I say that, it oh, stands wow. for biblically yeah. specious. Why would there be a concern? <laughs> That's true. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, here's the thing: God does not love you in general, and I don't. No. I don't know if it's possible really to love a group of people as a group. Sure. I don't know if that that kind of works really. You know, you yeah. can love a set of individuals individually you have individual love for this group of people but you know i don't know if love works in general at kind of at all mm-hmm. so you know i i'm not sure about that uh we might be confused by that when we read stuff like uh, you know for god to love the world 
that the word used in that verse is cosmon, which is you can hear the English word cosmos in that, and it's it's a similar uh, term for, and it's used to describe the world, but it's it's uh, I think it might be better translated in that verse as as um, you know the 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 creation the 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 ordered created universe and everything in it so that he loves what he has made might be the best uh, way of, of expressing that. Um, that might be a, a big clue to why uh, God loves you specifically. But when I preach this sermon, and I'm, I'm super thankful for the question, I'm glad that it's in your brain, because I didn't answer it on that sermon because I really wanted you to think about it. Uh, you know, because that's kind of the whole point. If I tell you why God loves you, you're going to say, yeah, but I'm not really, I'm not, it's not, you know, it's like, it's not like, you know, you know, and we're going to not be anywhere. It's up to you, I think, to challenge yourself to say, God loves me for this reason. You're going to go through a series of things that that aren't quite going to be it. Uh, you're going to go through performance-related things. God loves me because I married my Bible, for example. <laughs> and then, then you realize that's weird, and no one ever does that, and people are, are you know, sort of shying away from you because they're disturbed by you. Uh, you. You might say that this is lifestyle. God loves me because of my lifestyle. I, you know, I tithe and I, I don't curse, and you know, I, I, I never say anything as if I were a Nazi, for example. Uh, well, that's... That, know, that's good. That is a good thing. That's a positive and laudable trait that apparently not everyone shares. Right, that's right. But doesn't make God love you. That does, that's not the end-all, be-all. Um, you, you, but what you're going to get down, is, you, you're going to think through those things and say, that's why God loves me, and then eliminate those because you never, no one ever loved anybody because of their performance as a human. That's kind of not how love works. You're going to get down to more essential, more deep, uh, more soulful things, and I want you to to do that. Uh, the fact that God created you will have something to do with that. Uh, the fact that He sent His Son to die for you will have something to do with that. Uh, you will you will you know begin to recognize that love is not bidden. It is not. It doesn't. Uh, you can't make yourself love somebody that you don't, and you can't make yourself unlove somebody that you do. Love is just love. At some point, it's unre- irreducible, and uh, I think you need to contemplate God's love for you. I think the more that you get that in your mind, you're going to be a much, much, much happier person, and by the way, a much better Christian than if you married your Bible like some weirdo. I'm trying to get off that. I'm not not doing very well. It really sticks in the mind. Uh, if you don't know why God loves you, you won't buy into it when people tell you that he does. So uh, that's that's a, a very important reason for exploring that. Um, the, the other thing that I like, and this is to me a big, a big uh, uh, indicator, when I'm counseling people, and this is maybe especially true when I'm talking to people in leadership and uh, pastorate and that level of person— uh, I'm, I'm, I always have my, my uh, there's a, a warning light that goes on in, on my dash when we're claiming ignorance of things that I know you know, you know, that we're purposely not looking at something. What, what, what do you mean, Glenn? Well, he, 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 the, here the question is, does God take delight in us 
What does that mean? That's the actual question. Does mm. God take delight in us? And what does that mean? You know what the word delight means? Um, de deligate. <laughs> am I am yeah. I saying that right? <laughs> yeah, you know what it means. You just can't picture it. It mm. doesn't doesn't mm. resonate with you. It just doesn't feel right. Mm. And that that feeling is a lie. That feeling is not pointing you towards the truth. And uh, there's something preventing you from uh, buying into the idea that He delights in you. Uh, to me, from where I'm sitting, I think it makes perfect sense that God delights in you. I see no reason not to to believe that. But I'm I'm not in your head. I don't have your emotional life, your emotional landscape, or your challenges that you're dealing with. Uh, if you wrestle with those things to where you're able to get past them, then I think you'll know exactly what uh, why God delights in you and how much He delights in you and and the way in which He takes delight in you. Uh, Jet, let's look at that idea of delight. I think uh, Glenn Land is a very good place on that. Um, so if we're in the point where we can't picture it, we may know the, the definition of the word delight. Yep. Um, how do we start to bridge uh, that concept existing towards to God feeling that towards us? That is a good question. Well, brace yourselves. We're about to make this a legit Christian podcast. Mm. Oh, good. We're about to quote C.S. Lewis, 351 y'all. episodes in. Whoa. We're, we finally made it. That's right. Oh. <laughs> We're about to Lewis this thing. This I was is... wondering why Jed was wearing that tweed jacket. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So this is a great quote um, from C.S. Lewis, and it goes, To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son. It seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which mm. our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. I think that's really worth thinking about, and that goes along exactly with everything that Glenn was saying. So he makes the reference here to del- being delighted in as an artist delights in his work. So I've had a very privileged life in a way that I've gotten to write a lot of songs in my life, and I really dig the songs I've written. Yeah. W- whether other people like them or not, I don't care. I think they're really cool. They they. I like them because I made them. Uh, I mean, here's a true fact. I think people who do creative stuff fall into one of two camps. Either they um, have kind of an insecurity thing where they just can't stand to see or hear something that they created because it makes them feel bad about themselves, or deep down, they like their stuff more than anybody's. (laughs) I think that's how this actually works. And to be crystal clear, I like my stuff more than anybody's. Yeah. It's it's not to, to to explain what I mean. I don't think that I write better music than Mozart. I don't. I just like mine more. Sure. Because it's right. mine. That's why you That's made right. it. Yeah. I I made it exactly the way I would like it. Right. Right. And I do. I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's without flaw. I don't well, you don't really know your way around a harpsichord. Compared. I don't really know my way around a harpsichord, but I just dig it. <laughs> I am I am delighted with this song. You hope people like it, and you you hope they like it in a way that you don't hope that they like Mozart. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, is that does that in any way explain the way that God feels about you? No, because God is infinite and huge and whatnot. But there's a shadow, I think, of that same yeah. idea in there that God made you, and He'd be like, check this. Out. This is right. awesome. This yeah. is fantastic. 
right? That, but in the same way, he doesn't have to think you're flawless. He doesn't have to think you're perfect and every little thing you do is just so. In the same way, I don't think my songs are perfect or flawless. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I'm delighted with it. Right. This is a great song. Right. Yes, I know it's too long and I rhymed the word water with water. I don't care. It's a good song. <laughs> that third bridge is where the brilliance really comes through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dude, if you spend a lot of time, I, I don't have kids, but if you spend, I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and if you spend a lot of time around little kids, I think you come away with the knowledge, for the vast majority of parents, they love Timmy because he's theirs. Absolutely. Right. Not because Timmy is the best three-year-old who ever three-year-olded. <laughs> right. That's not a thing. He, that's a very highly functioning three-year-old there, Chad. He's a precocious three-year-old. <laughs> they love Timmy because Timmy's theirs. That's right, what that's it right. means to be a parent. That, and that's how God feels about you. He loves you because you're his. Yeah. But there's one more thing that I think really connects that with the stuff that Glenn was saying that we really do need to articulate, which is one of the key pivotal growth moments for Christians is recognizing God is allowed to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. And that's going to sound weird for a second because you may feel like, well, you know, we disagree about things all the time. He's holy and I'm sinful. I, 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 don't, I don't mean that. God is allowed to have a different view of you than you have of yourself. Yeah. Mm. And a wildly different view of you than you have of yourself. I think it's a mark of spiritual maturity when you can say, I believe I'm XYZ and God thinks I'm ABC. Yeah. I'm not claiming that I'm right. I'm not claiming that he's wrong. I am recognizing that there is a significant divide between God's view of me and my view of me. Come on, man. And I think it's really critical to get to that point where we can hold both of those things in our hands at the same time. Because otherwise, we're going to keep having this same problem. We're going to be trying to reconcile that God feels one way and you feel a very different way, and we don't know what to do with that. If you will admit, if you will begin to work on accepting the idea that you can see yourself as a loser and a fool and a moron and a screw-up and also the smartest person on earth at the same time, which is an odd thing, but we all do that. We all have this view of ourselves as a total screw-up, but also the one person who can solve all of our problems. Right. And Duh. God, <laughs> duh. <laughs> so that's my view of me. And God just sees me as this person that he loves. Right. He sees me as this kid. Warts and all, imperfections, issues, problems, all the potential in the universe, deeply loved, deeply cherished, uh, incredible gifting. You know, it needs to be unlocked and built and, and, and grown, but, you know, just an unbelievable adventure and, and future ahead that both of those things are going on at the same time. I have this view and God has this very, very other view. If we'll do that, if we'll accept that, at long last, we can begin to have a dialogue with the Lord about all this. Yeah. About God, I think this, you think this other thing, how do we meet in the middle on this? Or how, how do I come anywhere closer to where you are at? You know? Um, but I think we sh- Christians shortcut the process by saying, well, this is what the Bible says, so it's true, and that's it. That's my only view on the matter. Nobody feels that way. Um, the Bible says all kinds of things that it's not possible to on your first read be like, okay, that's what I think now, because that's not what you think. And if you do want to be very committed to scripture, not married to your Bible, but very <laughs> committed to scripture, the right and mature way to do that is to start admitting to yourself when you don't buy it. Right. When, you know, the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You go, I really don't feel that way like at all and begin talking to the Lord about why that is and where that disconnect is coming from. 
Sounds like Jed needs to work on his relationship with his Bible wife. <laughs> really get into some of that. There's a lot of, a lot of great stuff in there. And Leah, love you. Love you to pick us up there and maybe we can get into more about uh, bridging this divide. Cause there's, there's an, there's an emotional reality here that uh, we're talking about, which is there. I wonder uh, going back to where Glenn started that idea of kind of, I don't even know what being delighted would look like. Um, you have to acknowledge what that might feel like before you can acknowledge that you uh, are feeling it or are not. So how do we tie in kind of getting across that gap here? Well, I think that you're exactly right to bring up the idea of, of some of the emotional component. And, um, and some of this is going to have to do with looking at your own history, your own life. Um, and, and what I mean by that is there are times where somebody said that they loved you and then they didn't. Um, and somebody that was supposed to love you and then they didn't. They treated you terribly. Uh, somebody that you hoped would love you, and they rejected you. Um, I, I think that's an important thing to look at, because behind this whole question is, but what about all the love I haven't received? And what if God is like that? What if God is like the people who said they loved me and didn't love me, who were supposed to love me and didn't love me very well, the people I hoped would love me and rejected me? Um, we have to look at all that stuff. We have to look at the fact that when I look around at the at, and compare myself to other people, and I, I see things that that they have that I wish I had, and this ties all in with what these other guys are saying, with what Jed's saying about the way I see myself versus the way God sees me. Um, just to illustrate this a little bit, I was talking recently with someone <clears throat> who was talking about they wanted to go back to to school and uh, and finish up a degree program that they had been working on. I was like, okay, that sounds cool. That sounds like a great idea and everything. Tell, tell, me, tell me more about that. Tell, tell me why you want to do this. And basically, after a long conversation, it just came out that this person felt like, well, if I don't finish this degree program, then I don't feel like I have a lot of worth. And I've got a lot of people in my life who are doing big, ambitious things right now, so I need to get on that train so that I can have some worth. And... And it was just clear, which, first of all, let me say, there's nothing wrong with going to school and finishing a degree program or whatever, but it, it became very clear in talking to this person, you do not want to go to school at all. And the only reason that you're doing it is because you feel like that this would say something about your worth. So we started talking about it more and more, and we got around to this idea of exactly what these brothers are talking about, exactly where Jed kind of landed of, do you know what your worth is in the sight of God. Um, do you realize, like Glenn was saying, we, we, know that, that we know that we're loved because of what Jesus did. I mean, the most significant event in the history of the world happened because of you. Uh, the Savior of the world paid for the wrong of the world, but he paid for you. If you had been the only one, he would have done it. In, in some way, and, and in a very real way, individually, you're the most important person that's ever lived because the most significant thing that's ever happened in the history of the world happened for you. We're having this conversation and all of a sudden this person I'm talking to is, was like, dude, I don't need to go back to school, do I? And it was like, well, not if it's about your worth, you don't. I mean, if you want to go back to school, do it. But if it's because you're somehow, this is going to tell you who you are, it never will. 
That's n- it doesn't have the power to do that. So I think as we look at some of this, and as I think Glenn is exactly right to say to you, you've got to think about this and you've got to work this out. Why does God love me? Why does God delight in me? Um, as you're asking that, one of the questions that you need to talk to the Lord about, exactly as Jed is saying, is what has happened to me in my life with people who were supposed to love me and didn't that has me questioning um, when somebody tells me they love me? Um, God is not like the people in our lives, and he doesn't love the way that people love um, that have told us they love us or that we hoped would or that said that they would or whatever it is. And and in order to figure out what all this means, I've got to pull all of that out and look and be willing to look at all of that stuff. Be willing to ask the questions of the Lord. Be willing to tell him how I feel about myself and be willing to look at the things in my life that have made me question when somebody tells me they love me. And I think that when you start to have this honest conversation with the Lord, that's when you're really going to start to hear his voice telling you how he feels about you. I will say the, in the book of Romans in chapter 5, Paul says that the, that the Holy Spirit is always pouring out the love of God into your heart. And I would say, while you're working through this, ask him to do that. Ask him to pour out his love into your heart so that you can feel it, so that you can understand it, so that when you're working through some of these issues, you can feel that he's there and that he cares about you. I think it's a really great point. That is all good stuff these guys giving you. And uh, we'll take it right back to where... Uh... Glenn actually started us off, which is the, the, to just to say the only way you're really going to get to a, a healthy place with a question like this is to really get into it for yourself to look at that. But we can give you some signposts along the way. You've already heard a couple of very good ones. I'll, I'll give you one to add on there. Um, we talked. Uh, we've talked about how uh, Jed talked about you know God loves you because you are His, and uh, he and Lee talked about the idea that God loves you in part because He made you. That's you know you are the the way you are on purpose, as we like to say, and that's it's important. I give I give you one last one. This is a, it's. A, one to me, and it's it's a good one to chew on. It's uh, God loves you because He decided to. You don't get a vote in that. You don't. You can't talk Him out of that. You, uh, your self worth and your self perception literally has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's it's a choice He made, which is pretty good because uh, it's as Lee is pointing out. It's it's better for this to rest on His decision making than ours. So yeah. Um, Again, as as all these guys have talked about, the 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 journey you're going to be on here is is an inherently an emotional one. There's nothing wrong with that. Emotions are a big part of life, but um, you're gonna you're gonna get there by thinking your way through a bit of that. You're not gonna wake up one day and just as these as these guys are talking about have the have the grand emotional epiphany that changes all the ways about your life. But if you go to the Bible in a Platonic way sure we're never going to shake that this is going to be the whole episode um it's it really it eats your brain folks you, you you'll like you'll tomorrow you'll wake up and be like wait did they make that up and you'll search the internet we didn't it happened um but and you go to scriptures you pray as he's got to talk about with these kind of things in mind that's how you start getting the, that thought process changed how you start coming to be comfortable with the emotions of that uh, it's, you're not alone no one particularly who maybe if you're uh, coming to christianity a little later in life as some of us did the whole God loves you thing is real weird to wrap your mind around. And if it's certainly something you haven't heard your entire life, it, it takes some, some uh, chewing through in layers. That doesn't mean you're not Christian. That doesn't mean you don't believe in God, that you don't believe he loves you, but it does. it is a different kind of love and a different kind of relationship. There's nothing wrong with sitting down and thinking and feeling your way through that. All right, we're going to take it out of our interview with Andy Gellahorn, whose new record, Everything As It Should Be, is available right now. We talk 
a lot about the record. I can highly recommend it. We'll take that right now. Folks who are not as familiar with your stuff as I am, uh, but I think also for folks who've been following for a long time, everything as it should be is is kind of a, a cool vibe, maybe a little a little different in concept. What were you setting out to do with this one? You know, I don't really set out uh, with a particular goal other than uh, to capture the songs that have uh, just come to life during you know the period before making the record. So. Um, for me, it's really just looking at the songs and and trying to communicate them the best way. Uh, but in hindsight, looking back on themes or something that, that kind of came from it, um, I think some of the themes in it were that coming out of 2016, I didn't actually write many songs at all. I was kind of, well, for a number of reasons, one of them was I was kind of paralyzed by trying to write a song that would make everybody come together and, and uh, not be so polarized. That's, that's a big that, swing. Yeah. It didn't, that's why I didn't write any songs. It was too big <laughs> yeah. of a swing. Um, so kind of coming out of that and thinking like, well, what, what can I do uh, if I can't do that? Um, and it seems like that's been a theme in a lot of, of my records and, and my music is, is getting back to, the small things that are right before me. Um, but I guess I just had to be reminded of that again. So a lot of the songs uh, deal with that, just kind of looking at my neighborhood and my community and and uh, things that I uh, might have some influence or say in, or at least I can be a part of. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting um, observation, and it definitely comes through on the record that you, you do kind of keep it personal and keep it intimate, but these themes and the bigger stuff does kind of, kind of come out. I I was listening through, uh, straight through the record earlier this morning again, and that's right. Spotify teens, uh, people do put songs in order for a reason sometimes. Not just a bunch of singles. Yeah. (laughs) But like the turn from, uh, Village, which is a song about some of the this, this stuff you're talking about, you, you name check kind of Charlottesville and some of that stuff. And then the beginning of, of the next tune is about uh, the, bre- the breakfast bowls, the uh, yeah being chipped. Is that, is there something, is that like a thing you try to go for? Or is this as you're saying, you just kind of find yourself always circling back to keeping it personal? Yeah, I don't, it, I don't think I try for it. I think it's, um, Actually, the song um, with the chipped breakfast bowls, uh, everything as it should be, is was the first song that I wrote out of that drought. That was that was the very first song kind of in response to trying to write something that would be big and bring everybody together. I was like, oh gosh, I I think I just need to focus on like this morning and my family, and uh, that's when I started writing songs again, and. Uh, you know, the connection between that and something like Village, which Village eventually, I think I wrote that after um, visiting Houston after Harvey and kind of seeing the local approach to it. I, I kind of felt, it's the same kind of thing. I felt, how do I help my friends in Houston? I don't even know what they need or how to help them from from afar. And then going there and just kind of seeing the local, you know, churches and people that were helping tear down homes it was a reminder to me that oh yeah it has to 
kind of be small and in the neighborhoods. That's really the way to help. Um, so even though those those things were bigger, even the Charlottesville thing, I don't really have a big connection to that. But I I kept thinking about that guy who drove into the crowd and just like, what you know? I mean, at that point, anger and rage is so high. Um, and so I I just kind of feel like, oh, how do I deal with that? I, I think I have to deal with the anger and rage in my own heart in my own life and uh, address it in my own community because I don't know what else to do. Uh, See, so yeah, all those things, big or small, kind of come out of the same desire to uh, find some peaceful solution. Totally. I love the phrase you, you've you found in the lyrics for that and love local. That's Thank you. Kind of a, it's a very interesting. It's a, we, I think... One of the reasons that we as kind of a body need folks like you who can put stuff in, in words like that is that such a big concept boiled down into something that folks can take with them. I think that's really cool. I hope so. It's something I need to take with me because I obviously I have to remind myself all the time. Uh, so it's kind of selfish. <laughs> it's a selfish slogan. All, all the good ones are. Yeah. Well, let's. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about the coming out of that writer's block thing. I think that's maybe if if people don't kind of know artists in their personal life, that's not a side of that we always get. Um, when, when you come out of something like that, did it did it just come rushing back? Did you have to kind of keep pulling stuff out of yourself to get to the record? What does that actually look like? Uh, and so it wasn't like I I started again, and they're just like a bajillion songs. Um, I still feel like since then the pace has been a little bit slower for me. Um, but it was, you know, the, the block part was, there are all sorts of things going on in my life in, in 2016 that, that made writing songs not that important to me. Um, but, uh, I'd also say when I would sit down, like maybe after a few months, I'd be like, Oh, I, I guess I've gone a few months before without writing a song. This is no big deal. And I get to like six months and I was like, yeah, I haven't done that since I was 15 years old. Uh, but surely it's going to come. And then like when it gets close to a year, I'm like, I guess I'm never going to be a songwriter again. <laughs> um, Time to learn a other, trade. Yeah. The, the other thing is that I would be, you know, teaching songwriting seminars or, you know, doing things like that. And, you know, a pretty standard thing that people say is that the creativity muscle, something needs to be exercised. So just, just write, don't worry about it being good. Just, you just need to write and exercise that. And I, I believe that is true, but I wasn't doing it. Like I, at some point I was afraid to, to even pick up a guitar and try to write because if, I think I felt like if I tried and I failed, it would be worse than not trying. Yeah. Um, so eventually I kind of had to take my own advice and other people's advice and just, I, I set a guitar out in my bedroom and I just said, okay, I just need to play guitar for like five minutes a day. Just, just pick it up and you know, no expectation. Uh, but I just wasn't doing that. I wasn't setting myself up to, to write. And it might've been the second day that I did that, that I started writing songs again. So I, I mean, Maybe it's all my fault that I just wasn't actually trying. Or maybe I could have tried and it would have failed. I don't know. Um, but it, it helped. It helped for me to, to put a guitar in my path 
so that I could just, you know, make it available if it was going to happen. And a lot of it was just paralyzed by fear. of What does it mean if I don't write another song again? Uh, who am I? Um, and I think those are good questions for me to wrestle with because by, by the time the year got around, I was like, okay, I think I'm all right. Not ever writing a song again. I've, I've got other things to do. Although now I can't remember what those things were. So, <laughs> so it, would, it would freak me out again if I stopped writing songs. I mean, more time for bowling. So that's always a positive yeah, that's thing. Sc- that's scary. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is kind of a funny thing that when we all have, when you have those big questions, it's kind of that two-step process of the the scary thing is I don't think I could look at that. And then as you're saying, like once you look at it, it's almost never as, as bad as it, you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, the writing process, you have some co-writes on this record with uh, folks that listeners of the show might know. Former guest Jason Gray, uh, Death Without a Funeral, and a friend of the show, Eric Peters. So were those co-writes coming out of that uh, – coming out of that dry period and what was it like to is that a vulnerable moment to sit down with someone and go i haven't done this in a while let's try it it definitely was i think in in that year particularly uh when people would ask for co-writes i kind of would um i think i did have some co-writes uh in that time but i would typically try to uh I think I was convincing myself that I couldn't do it because I, I didn't want to step into it and not have something to offer. And that being said, um, I could, I felt like I didn't have any ideas to offer, but if we were going to sit down and somebody had an idea, I feel like I've been writing long enough to, to where like I could sketch out an outline and, and do the mechanics of writing a song. Um, but I know that whenever I get together with Jason, um, he always has really great ideas and I can't even remember when that was in the process, but uh, just kind of sitting and, and talking about what's going on in life and, and uh, the co-writing is actually really helpful for me to kind of get the gears rolling again. Cause you know, there's somebody there helping you and, um, and other ideas for me to, to pull off of. And I lo- I always love writing with Jason and I was grateful that he would – that was a different kind of song to write. Um, and I was so honored to be a, a part of that one. And I've always loved Eric and Eric's music and just him as a person. And that one was – we were doing some shows together out in Nebraska. And I kind of had this idea floating around um, – about people being in a fog, but I didn't want to use the fog. So, um, you know, we had nothing better to do in Nebraska. So we just sat down and wrote that song together. It was a lot of fun. I think that could really help the tourism in Nebraska. If you're really <laughs> stuck, just come out here because you'll find something to do with your brain. Nebraska, it's a, it's a place the songs come from. <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's on their license plate. It's it certainly would start a civil war with Nashville, I think, if that tried you know. to happen. Well, how how is it? Because uh, you're you're living in Nashville, you're part of this country community. You're married to another singer songwriter. How how is it when you're 
either going good or going bad? Is it tough to not look around and be like, well, I can't write a song. All these people writing songs and let that be a hindrance as opposed to a help. You know, that's an interesting question. Um, there are definitely plenty of, of things to, uh, swallow you up in comparison living in a town like Nashville. There are so many great writers, so many great musicians and artists and singers. Um, I, I would say in general, I'm, I'm not, um, in general, I'm not drawn to comparison as much. Um, and if anything, if I, if I were to go out and hear other music, I think it's, it's kind of inspiring to me. It makes me want to write, um, more. That was part of the whole slump too. I just wouldn't listen to music. I wouldn't go see music. And I think it was just cutting myself off from that kind of inspiration. Uh, not, I mean, probably subconsciously. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's, I see the the wealth of talent here as, as more inspiration than, uh, kind of getting me down. That's not to say that that's always the way that it is. I, th- I think the way the comparison shows up in my life just has more to do with, Oh man, they're, they sure seem to be, uh, successful like it it has I'm, I'm more inspired by the art and and the art is life-giving to me from other people it's like when i start thinking about ways that i'm not a very good business person or marketer or there's there's some i don't know when it gets to that to the business side of things then, then it can uh that's where it can eat me up a little bit more i don't know if that makes sense yeah it absolutely does i think kind of yeah, there's it's it's hard to find something uh, beautiful and inspirational about someone's really, really well curated social media presence, <laughs> yeah, as opposed to a song. Yeah, I can appreciate the art, and the, I, when I think about stuff like social media, I just like, oh, I'm a failure. <laughs> um, but then other times I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I'm a failure at that. So, you know, it evens out. Absolutely. Well, uh, the record is Everything As It Should Be, available at all fine music sellers and online streamers now. But, you know, go ahead and buy it. Be a person. Um, sure. So uh, is there, if someone hasn't, uh, isn't a big Andy Goldhart fan, maybe this is the first time they're hearing of you. If, if they do, get to Spotify before they buy the record. Go and buy the record. Um, is there one track you would say, give this one a shot, this is the vibe? Ooh, off this record... That's a good question. I, I, um, I'll say that I, this is a very political answer. Please. But I like all the songs in this record because they all have a purpose for me. Like, so it kind of would depend on what somebody is going through. I'd want them to, to listen to different things. Um, but the one that comes to mind, um, Well, the one that comes to mind right now is uh, the darkest song on the record, which is called The End of a World. I don't know why that just came to mind, but um, that would be for... I, I seem to, to uh, connect with people that, that have questions and doubts, and that's one of them. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of... For some reason, I could... Well, one, I love the song, uh, and two, it has... Uh, some some uh, good pedal steel on it, and pedal steel is like my favorite instrument in the world. So, well, I so think, there you go. 
a certain amount of ennui and pedal steel is a combination that the world is, is crying out for. Yes. And it is a great track. All the songs are great tracks. It's a great record. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, that was our chat with Andy Yellowhorn. We are very thankful for him uh, sitting down, taking the time with us. His social media and whatnot links are below. You can also check out andygellhorn.com. I assume. If not, I will cut that out later. But the record, everything as it should be, is available wherever you get music currently. We're going to jump to our final question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I'm thinking of taking a break from my home church. A lot is going on with a friend I invited a year ago. The last six months, she's been trying to provoke me to envy her lifestyle. I spoke with her and I informed her that I'm taking a break from our friendship. She is not happy about that. I feel my friendship with her is unhealthy. She is wealthy and I am not. She makes me feel bad because she tells me how sad she feels for me that I am poor. Which is quite a thing to say out loud to another human being. And uh, Lee, there's obviously a lot going on there, but let's start with the idea of, of, uh, we talk a lot on the show about uh, setting boundaries, which is what has happened here. But then there's a second step to setting boundaries, Mm. which is the person with whom you did it massively misbehaving. That's where we pick this up. Let's let's, uh, give a little advice based on that. I'll tell you what, it's setting boundaries is an important and it's a healthy thing. As, as you've heard on this show before, if you've listened for a long time, every single healthy relationship has boundaries. Uh, some relationships have a lot of boundaries <laughs> and some relationships have really, really, really stiff boundaries that are very vocal and very plain. Uh, and, and some relationships, it's a, it's a much easier thing to talk through. But one thing is true. When somebody's misbehaving... Um, when somebody's misbehaving and you set up a boundary, they are going to push back on that because people do not like confrontation. Um, people do not like being confronted. They will, they will, uh, not like it. They will not be happy with you off of that. And that is something that you need to be ready to face. Um, for one thing, we're proud of you for standing up to somebody who said something so awful to you and, and saying to them, Hey, uh, we can't be friends anymore. This isn't, this relationship is, is not good for me. That is a positive and a good thing. Um, that almost 100% of the time, something like that is going to go poorly. They're going to handle that poorly. They're going to misbehave off of that. And the thing that I would say is, um, it is right for you to continue to maintain that boundary. I think the, the temptation in that is that it takes a whole lot of, it takes a whole lot of courage. It takes a whole lot of energy. It takes a whole lot of like getting your thoughts together making sure it all feels right and sounds right to, to set up this boundary in the first place. And so it feels like we've crossed through a huge checkpoint and now I, all, all my, all my gumption, all my energy is spent. And if they have some pushback, the, the path of least resistance feels like, um, well, I'll just cave because I've done all I can. Um, and what we can tell you is it is worth maintaining that. It's worth continuing to push, continuing to, to, to take that stand and to stand in the same place. Um, I, I will say as somebody that, that is a pastor at a church, that my hope would be that somebody, um, somebody in your church in a position of leadership, maybe over a Bible study or something, that has seen or noticed any of this, or if they were told about this, would have your back in some way. 
and would help you kind of walk through this and to kind of stand up to this person who's misbehaving. Um, if that's not happening, I am super sorry because it ought to be. But yeah, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of energy to stand up once you've made a boundary and to keep maintaining that. But we're proud of you and, and you're doing the right thing to, 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 keep, to keep that where it is. That's absolutely right. That's all very good stuff. And Jed, love to, to get you to pick us up here. Uh, Lee is absolutely right. Uh, in a healthy church environment, uh, the person who is misbehaving should be the one who has to modify their behavior. Sure. Um, unfortunately, having been around uh, some churches that aren't the healthiest environment, we know that's not always the way it is. Sure. So let's 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 go ahead on the assumption that uh, the the uh, the decision to involve taking a break from the church in taking a break from the friendship is, is the right one is the healthy one. Uh, the, the huge bummer about that is that's going to may leave, uh, someone feeling a little isolated. Yep. Uh, feeling like they don't have a lot of stuff in their life they had. So where do we go about getting some positivity back in here? That's a great question. Uh, to, you know, kind of repeat what you were just saying, cause I think there's a lot to it. We have a situation where you've identified two relationships that you don't want. One is with an individual and one is more with a group of people, but you said, I, I don't want to maintain these relationships. And um, it certainly could be the exact right decision. So no problem. But now we need to ask, who do you want in your life? Um, unless we're planning to live the uh, in the style of the Desert Fathers. Oh. Um, <laughs> We're going to have to have human relationships. Hair shirts are super in for 2019. Absolutely. I've been perching on a pole already in 2019. Mm. So this is the key thing is we will have better results if we will think about the kind of relationships that we want and then actively build and cultivate them. I think one of the things that we most of us fall into, though, is the idea of figuring out the kind of people I would want in my life and then going out and finding them and building relationships with them. One, we've never thought about that before. I mean, most of us wind up in relationships fairly accidentally. Glenn is fond of saying, and rightly so, that your friends growing up was the kid with the locker next to yours and yeah. you're, you're just friends now. But I think the other thing is it can feel almost weird or mercenary in a sense to say, I'm going to think of the type of person I would want to be friends with and then go be friends with them. But there's nothing wrong with that. And there's actually a lot to commend it. Think about it this way. Let's almost reverse engineer this. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. So we know there's a kind of relationship we don't want. There are kinds of friends that would be bad for us. Well, that would almost have to mean there would be kinds of friends who would be good for us. So if we should avoid the one, we should seek out the other. So that even though it seems weird, that that kind of has to be true is that we ought to be able to make a profile of the kind of people we would want to have relationships with and then seek those people out. In case you're wondering, all of us on this show do that. We all yep. make a point of figuring out the kind of people we want to share our lives with and then finding those people. One of the things I would say for you is to not disqualify people prematurely. And I'm going to tell you what I mean. I grew up uh, in a family with very little money. And that sucked. I just like to be clear because there's an idea going around in Christian culture of like the beauty of poverty. It's not beautiful. It just sucks. It's not fun at all. And I definitely had, it wouldn't be right to call them friends. I had people that I knew as a kid who were super not cool about that um, in, in similar ways to what you're describing here. And it would have been a temptation for me, as I imagine it might be for you to say, what I need to do is only be friends with people from a similar background to me. 
And that way there won't be any problems. There won't be any disconnects. There won't be any people looking down on me. Don't do that. That's a bad call. That's a super, super bad call. Don't disqualify people prematurely. If people are making it clear that they can't listen to boundaries, they can't abide by boundaries, then yeah, that's a different situation. But figure out the kind of people that you want to have in your life and seek them out regardless of other demographic information. I'll give you an example of what I mean. You might decide, you know, I struggle with a certain amount of negativity in my life. I want people who are positive. I want people who have just a sense of we're going to go and we're going to do things. We're going to make this world a better place. I'm tired of feeling despairing. I'm tired of feeling dismayed. I want people with an attitude of let's make this world better. I want to surround myself with those kind of people, which is great. That's awesome. You want to do that. What you wouldn't want to do is say, okay, now I should only find the people that are lower, lower middle class who, who have that attitude so I don't have to feel bad about myself. Don't do that. Find the people with that attitude and take it from there. I think what you may find is that, in this case, unity of purpose is much bigger and much deeper than what other divisions you might have. When you don't have anything else to unify yourself with people, then people do start uh, focusing on the things that are not the same. Like, I'm super rich, which must mean I'm blessed, and you're poor. That must be so sad for you with how poor you <laughs> it are. It makes me sad. I can only imagine how you feel. The only way to console myself is drinking out of this crystal goblet. But if we have unity of purpose, if we have real unity, then a lot of those divisions actually just don't matter. They just kind of disappear. So figure out the kind of relationships that you want. Go and seek them out regardless of those other divisions. We think you'll like the results. Absolutely right. I think that's all great stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to, to close this out here. Um, as uh, Lee pointed out, I think in, in a perfect world, uh, the church would step up and mm-hmm. uh, back the non-schmucky person. Uh, we do not live in a perfect world. Right. And though there are very few perfect or even good churches. So I think we can safely say that it's fair to assume that might not be happening here. Um, there is, but I can see a certain amount, and I've felt in my life a, a thought of like, well, am I not just admitting defeat? Okay. If I let them, they're the ones being a jerk, yeah. face person. Yeah. I let them have the church thing. Right. Well, I'm, 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 I'm doubly wounded now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A, so how do we do a good boundary-setting break? We, we talk yeah. a lot on the show about you, because very few people have the courage to set the boundary, which our friend did. Mm-hmm. So now we've got set the boundary. Yeah. Things went haywacky. Mm-hmm. How do I do the next part good? of disengaging what needs to be disengaged, salvaging what needs to be salvaged, and moving on with life. Well, I I totally get what you're saying, that, you know, sometimes it feels kind of bad that, like, we we had a breakup in our friendship, and they got the church in the divorce or something like that. (laughs) Uh, that's and that feels unfair when you weren't at fault and so on and so forth. Yeah, they're the jerk. Why do I have to find a new jerk? That's right. And I, by the way, I think it's it's worth uh, you know uh, exploring. Is this person a jerk? I think they are. I think that's what we're going to find. But it's it's important for you to settle that matter in your mind. Uh, it's it is challenging to have friendships across socioeconomic lines. That's reality. You know, we all want to go to this fancy restaurant, and so and so can't afford it. That means we're all going to Burger King. Too bad. You, your friends are either considerate enough to work that out, or they're not. And in this case, they're not. They're yeah. not that good of friends. You're not missing that much. You're better off moving on. And I think that's the that's the thing is you are now free to have better friendships that, that Jed was describing. 
it's it's not about what it is that you're losing in all of this. It's about what you, the new thing that you're being able to take a hold of. Um, but let's let's talk about uh, expectations in terms of um, uh, that's that's part of what's going on here. Is I I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good church going person. I want to fulfill my obligations here. Uh, and I, I and I want to do well with the with with this entire situation, but I'm wondering if the church or this friend was meeting your expect or anyone's expectations at any point. I think that's worth looking at. So here's an exercise I want you to do: uh, get a piece of paper. On the left hand side of this paper, I want you to list out all your significant relationships. So that might be uh, parents, extended family, siblings. Uh, work, church, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, spouse, whatever those things are. You just list that down the left-hand side of that page. And then for each of those groups, I want you to write down what your expectations are, what is expected of you in those relationships. And that might be long for some and short for others. They'll be very different. I mean, you might see a lot of overlap between, let's say, like family and church, but uh, work might be very different, you know, because you're you have totally different expectations on you that you know boss expects you to show up early and on time and work hard and all those kinds of things. If you look at the, those lists, you'll find I think that you are often concerned about stuff that isn't necessarily on that list. That is to say, people have created expectations of you that that aren't reasonable that wouldn't be on anybody's list of, a, of what's a reasonable expectation, but you are living according to those expectations as opposed to the stuff that's on that list. Now, this is the really important part. Take the second side of that paper, the other, the other side of that divide on your paper, and write out what you ought to be able to expect from them. And here's where we're going to have some real revelations here. Uh, at the very least, particularly from friends and certainly from churches, there should be a sense of, of encouragement, a sense of respect, a sense of building up. And, uh, you know, I, I, you, certainly we, we can't expect them to be perfect at this. We're not expecting them to build me up in all things at all times. But uh, in general, on the balance, uh, you know, that we ha- should have an expectation of uh, the best human effort these people can put forth to build you up, to encourage you, to... to um, uh, care about your concerns and to take the time to think about the words that are flying out the front of their dang face. So, I think uh, what you'll see is that you often analyze these relationships only looking at the the half of that page that pertains to your responsibilities, and you aren't mm. looking at their responsibilities to you hardly at all when you analyze these things. Yeah, I think that would give you a sense of how to order and. Uh, work with these uh, relationships. I think it's a really great point. And just to build on that, um, and this doesn't really apply to this situation because it seems like you've certainly come to, I mean, if someone says out loud, the fact that you're so poor just makes me sad. It's uh, pretty cut and dry. Yeah. But if you're looking at something that's a little more in between, particularly if you do take something to like a church leader, uh, you know, a community leader or something, um, would you, here's what uh, you don't have to do. You don't know anyone infinite benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. Sure. And Christians in the world, I'm going to bring it back, maybe who write things about marrying your Bible, no one owes you infinite benefit of the doubt 
to assume you had the best intentions and you just didn't communicate. As Gwen says, they're the words that came out of your face. And that's what we have to deal with. You can apologize for those and retract Mm -hmm. them Mm -hmm. and beg to take them back, as everyone on this show has done pretty profusely. Oh, yeah. But that idea, and this is what happens, unfortunately, at a lot of churches where um, you sit down and and, uh, there's a lot of past in the world. It's not true of Triple C. It's not true of British Church. Unfortunately, there are a lot of churches and just organizations in the world where what they want is the conflict to end. Yeah. And if the quick, they think the quickest way to that is we all said a lot of things and, you know, we, everybody, you know, had a little bit. So why don't we just call it? If that's, that's a much quicker end to conflict than actually dealing with person A is right. Person B is wrong. Now person B will apologize. And if they don't conflict remains, and we have to deal with it. So you get a lot of, well, maybe they didn't really mean it. Like, and uh, no, 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 we're not. Not doing that, as, as Glenn's pointing out, you you don't have to go ninety five percent to meet this person. What they're claiming is halfway, and that doesn't necessarily apply to the situation. But a lot of things we we talk about a lot in a up here in Chicago at this point of a problem with a readily apparent solution is almost as relieving as things going right. Yeah, because there are so many complicated problems, <laughs> yeah. and the same way in interpersonal problems, there's a lot of you do have to read and, you know, you, and some people do deserve a lot of benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So well, maybe they didn't and they were raised around where if someone says something this awful, it's kind of a positive in a weird way because you have to move on from that. Yeah. So uh, as we talk about a lot about the show, once you put your mind to this is what has to happen, take a break from friendship, take a break from the church, find something new. You can go ahead and put all your energy in that because you don't have to waste a single moment thinking, well, was saying that awful thing really that awful that I shouldn't just backtrack it? Yeah. No, it was awful. You move on, as he's got to point out. There are much better things, much better communities and friends out in the world than this. We, we want them for you, and, and Jesus does as well. All right, if you have a question for us, say at podcast.gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. I'll tell you the Lee song this week. This is from, I believe, the December edition of Bridgebox called You're Calling Me. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Say that podcast. Memorize, say that. Submit to say that. Love, say that. Mary, say that. Yes! (laughs) Wow. Before the sun comes up through the window pane Before my feet have hit the ground Before I check to see if I've missed anything For the world has made a sound You're calling me With words no one else can say You're whispering Arise and come Seek the smile of a lesser love Before I long for that embrace Before I catch the eye I'm so tired of That just isn't worth a chase You're calling me With a love that won't let go Yes, and you're chasing 
like no one has before and I'm yours oh the safety of your constancy and the kindness of your words oh the passion of your intimacy you're all that I've longed for and you're calling me further up and further in oh and I'm falling deeper Lord, you're calling me with words no one else can say, and you're whispering, arise and come away with me.